This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. A talk class about David HaMelech. It's one of the last classes on David HaMelech. And next week we're going to start Shlomo HaMelech. King Solomon, the great King Solomon. Anyway, let's start with David HaMelech. So there are 15 things that we can learn, at least 15 things we can learn from his life. We can learn from the life of David HaMelech, the great David HaMelech. What can we learn from his life of David Amelech? And the answer is, number one, we can learn even before he was anointed as king. We can learn from King David before he was anointed by Samuel the prophet. And this is a very famous Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, chapter 4, Mishnah number 20. And that is Rameir Baraness. Rameir, the famous Rameir Baraness of the miracles. One of the students of Rabbi Akiva who is buried in Tiberia and Tiberias. If you go to Tiberia today, you'll see it right at the entrance of Tiberia. You'll see a massive tomb, the Kevra Meir Baraness. So there's Yeshiva over there. There's a Minyanim around the clock. They have Minyanim around the clock. It's a massive place. Anyway, Rameir Baraness says in Perkei Avot, he says, Al tistakel kankan. Don't look at the packaging. You know, today, today packaging is a billion, billions of dollars industry. Massive industry of packaging. People don't realize how much yeah, time and, and uh, thought is spent on designing packaging. You know, when I was a kid in high school, I actually got a job, a uh, summer job, making packaging. One of the famous, uh, was it, uh, one of the perfume companies. And we're making this beautiful gold box. And uh, this, the room for the, for the perfume was tiny. So the box was massive, but the perfume was tiny. So everything's in the packaging. It's gold and it's big and it's nice. Ask Apple how much time and efforts they spend on their packaging. They really, they redesign packaging to make it nice and, and simple, and it looks good and it shows off their uh, products very, very nicely. So packaging. So Mayor Barnes says, don't spend your time looking at packaging. Don't look at the packaging. The packaging is worthless. We throw it away. We chuck away the packaging, recycle it, hopefully. And what you look at, look at the contents. Look at what's inside the, the packaging. And that's what we learned from the first story, which is pre-King David's anointment. He was anointed by, kings, by Samuel the prophet. And here the Torah tells us in the book of Samuel 1, in chapter 16, Hashem says to Shmuel and Navi, he says to Samuel, go and anoint one of the sons of Yishai, of Jesse. Of Yishai, who was a descendant, we said, a grandson of Ruth, right? Yishai was a grandson of Ruth, uh, Ruth, Obed, and Yishai, the grandson of Ruth. And W was a great grandson of Ruth. And so he, so Samuel went, he goes to Bethlehem, which is where the family lived. And uh, the elders of the city, they get worried, the king and the prophet Samuel is coming, what's going on? And he says, I came to bring an offering to Hashem. And he invited Yishai and his sons to the feast. And when, Yishai, when Samuel saw the firstborn son of Yishai, Eliav, he said, this must be the one. This must be God's chosen one. He was handsome. He was tall. He was strong. And Hashem says to Samuel in his head, he says, don't look at the appearance. Or at his stature, he says, I've rejected him. And I look at the words. I want to read these words in Hebrew. Ki lo asher yereha adam. It's not what a person sees. A person sees with their eyes. Hashem sees the heart. 
So this, this is probably the source of Amir Baranissa saying, don't look at the packaging. God tells Samuel, don't look at the packaging. A man looks at packaging, human beings, we look at packaging. God looks at contents. God looks at the heart of the individual. You go to shul, you see people, they seem to be praying. They're all praying very earnestly. One guy's moving around, he's shaking, and the other guy's there. It's, who knows what's going on? Only God knows what's in a person's heart. So what, where's the person's mind, right? The person's moving his lips, but in his head, he's thinking about his stocks and his bonds and his, who knows what he's thinking about. Where's God in the picture? So that's very important. We have to try and put God into the picture. The heart is the key. What's the heart? The heart is the brain. That's what Ramon says. Ramon says the heart, or the Torah says the heart. It's talking about the mind. The heart is the mind. The person's going to give their mind to God. That's what God says. Don't look at appearances. Look at the heart. So he brings, uh, Ishai brings all his sons one by one. And again, Samuel gets the message from God. Hashem hasn't chosen this one. Hashem hasn't chosen this one. Hashem hasn't chosen this one. And then Shmuel says, are these all the boys? Do you have any more boys? And Ishai says, the youngest one is looking after the sheep. And Samuel says, bring him. We are not going to eat until he comes. Imagine the whole feast. Everyone's there at the feast. The whole town came out for the feast with Samuel and he delayed the feast till the youngest one comes. And, and the Pasuk says a very interesting line. It says he was ruddy with fair eyes. Uh, and um, he was red like Esav. Esav, the only time this word is used, Admoni. Admoni means red. He was red. The only time it's used was Esav. And the, the Talmud says over here that Shmuel got scared. He said, what, this guy's going to be a murderer. He's red, ruddy like Esau. However, he had a difference in Esau. He, he had a nice eyes. He had beautiful eyes. And he looked good. He was ruddy with fair eyes and a pleasing appearance. Not like Esau. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so Hashem says, anoint him. He is the one. Can you imagine? So Shmuel, he made a mistake, big time mistake. He was going to anoint the wrong person. So Baruch Hashem, Hashem is guiding him. You see over there, very number one. So number one lesson to us is before even King David is on the picture, he's not a king yet. He's just being anointed. Before that, we learn, don't look at the packaging. We can't judge people. Only God knows how to judge people. We think we know someone. They're acting good. They're looking good. Um, but who knows what's in their hearts? Only God knows. So that's number one. Number one. That's number one. Okay, let's move on to number two. Number two is, uh, it's amazing what's possible if God's on your side. The most important thing is to be in God's team. If you're on Hashem's team, if a person's on God's team, they can't lose. If a person says, you know, Hashem, I'm working for you. You're my boss. I'm on your team. I'm on your side. A person on God's side cannot lose. So we see this with the next story with David is, King David, he's not king yet, he's a young boy, he's a shepherd, he plays music for King Saul, and there's a war going on. There's a war with the Philistines, the Philistines, and uh, nothing's changed in the Middle East. There's always wars going on with our neighbors, our beautiful neighbors. So here's the Philistines from Gaza, no less, one of the five cities of the Philistines. And there's a war going on, and David goes, his father sends him to his brothers who are in the army with food and drinks. And the brothers turn on him, you know, you, you left your sheep, you're just coming to see what's going on. You know, they, didn't, they weren't very nice to David. And then he hears this roar of the giant. 
Yeah, the giant, who's the giant? Goliath, Goliath in Hebrew, Goliath or Goliath. And he says, who is this? Who is this? Goliath, you hear the voice. This, this massive, this massive giant comes out and says, Let, I challenge you all to a duel. If I win, then you're all my slaves. And if you win, then we're all your slaves. And everyone is, is scared. They're scared of this Goliath. Everyone is trembling at Goliath. And David asks everyone, he says, what will the king give? What will the king give to get rid of this guy? So he didn't want them to know what was in his heart. He didn't want them to know how deep his feelings were that this man is blaspheming against God. You know, he's, uh, he's making a mockery of God. You know, your God is weak. I can smash everyone. And David got very upset. But he didn't want, he wanted to hide his feelings. He wanted to show everyone I'm doing it for the money. He asked everyone, what will the king do? And they told him the king will enrich whoever kills him with great wealth and will marry his daughter off to this man who will kill Goliath. And he will free his father's family from all the taxes. Oh, that's a big incentive. Imagine no more taxes. Amazing. No more uh, royal service. And David says again, he goes to another people. He says, what the the king do to this man who gets rid of this Philistine? And and they keep saying, he goes one one person to another, asking what's going to happen to the person who kills the Philistine. And his oldest brother, Eliab, heard and Eliab got angry at David. So you see, the reason why Eliab was not chosen was because he had a bad temper. He got angry with David and says, why you come here? Where do you leave the sheep? I'm aware of your willfulness and your evil thoughts. Can you imagine? The oldest brother is rebuking David. I'm aware of your evil thoughts. Why have you come down here to watch the fighting? And David says, what have I done now? It seems like it's not the first time Eliab attacked David. He then turned away and he kept on asking, you know, what the king going to give to this man who's going to fight Goliath? Anyway, eventually the king hears there's a guy who wants to know what he's going to give the guy who fights Goliath. And he brings David to, to see Saul. And David says to Saul, and Saul says, you're too young. Sorry, you, you can't, you're not a warrior. This guy is a warrior. He's a professional warrior. And he's a warrior from his youth. You're too young to fight this guy. You're too small. And David said to Saul, I was a shepherd for my father among the flocks. The lion or the bear would come and carry off a sheep. I would go after it and strike it down and rescue the sheep from its mouth. Imagine, I kill lions, I kill bears. So don't worry, I'm going to get rid of this guy. He's disgraced. And this is where he shows his true colors, his true intent. He has disgraced the battalions of the living God. Just want to read that in Hebrew. Cheref marachot elohim he has disgraced the army of the living God. So Hashem who rescued me from the hand of the lion and the hand of the bear, he will rescue me from this first time. So this is the second lesson is, if God is on your side and you really trust in God, you can beat anything. A person can beat anything if they have emunah, and this is something which David never lacked through his life. We're going to talk about he survived the worst situations because of his great faith. His heart was big. And his great faith. And so he successfully killed Goliath, the Philistine giant, before who everyone in the Israelite camp, all the big mighty warriors of the Philistine, of the whole Israelite camp were cowering with a mere slingshot and a smooth stone. So amazing second, second event is you trust in God and you really believe God is with you, anything is possible. Everything is possible. Nothing is too hard. So he had 
the highest level of intent. He got rid of uh, he got rid of Goliath. That's number two. Number three. Number three is don't cause jealousy. We find one of the downfalls of David. Unfortunately, he did not intend at all to cause jealousy, but he was so successful, and it's very hard to do. A person is very successful. It's very important sometimes to hide one's success, not to flaunt success. It's very important sometimes not to flaunt success. You know, sometimes we can't help it, but what can we do? So it's not good to live in a fancy, fancy house where it sticks out, drive a very fancy car, you know, driving his, the guy's driving his Rolls Royce, uh, Silver Cloud, I don't know what it is now. <laughs> I don't know the latest models of Rolls Royce. He's driving his $300,000 car around and it's flaunting as well. Don't draw jealousy because that's what happened. Unfortunately with David, now obviously it wasn't done willingly, unwittingly. What happens is, of course, now number one is he killed the Goliath. Everyone knows about it. Everyone knows his secret is out. This guy is a mighty warrior. He's a genius. He's a fighter. And uh, King Saul starts getting uh, inquisitive. Who is this guy? Is he a rival to my throne? He asks his general, Abner, whose son is this boy? And Abner says, I don't know. You know, I don't know. He says, Abner, go find out who this boy is. This boy is a threat. This boy is starting to get to be a threat to me. <laughs> Can you imagine? David kills Goliath, and uh, Saul starts getting wondering about who he is. And eventually he comes back to him. He was the son of Yushai, Jesse, and uh, then we find Yonatan, the son of Shaul, loves David. So Shaul sees his son now, the next in line to the king, loves David and gets into a very friendly relationship. And uh, Saul says, I'm going to put him at the head of my troops. Go fight the Philistines. And I'm sure he's hoping that, you know, maybe something bad will happen to King David. But nothing happened bad. Nothing, nothing bad happened. And what happened is, every time he's victorious, what happens is, look what happens. The women of the towns of Israel came out to sing with timbrels. They came out with all the musical instruments, the Greek king Saul with drums, with gladness and with cymbals. And the rejoicing women called out. Saul is a mighty warrior. I'm not, I'm paraphrasing, but David is much mightier than Saul. <laughs> you know, you want to cause jealousy. You know, obviously he didn't hire any women to sing this, but this is the, the his reputation was out. He's a mightier warrior than Saul. And Saul gets very upset. He gets depressed. And it says, and Saul I David with suspicion from that day on. So this is number three on the list. Try not to cause jealousy. Oh, this is very hard. This is something very hard. Sometimes, uh, you know, you can't help it. Sometimes a person can't help success. Don't boast about it. That we didn't boast. But people boasted in his name. And he should try to hide, hid everything and try to avoid it. But. Um, it caused jealousy and caused the King Saul to be after him. We're going to see. Uh, okay, number four. What is number four on the list? We find that there's a beautiful Midrash. The Midrash says, David Amelech, when he was a young boy, pondered about God's creations. He's always thinking about God's creations. Why did God create this? Why did God create that? Two things he wondered about. The most, the Midrash says, one of them was, why did God create spiders? Now, Today we know about the field of ecology. Without spiders, there'd be too many flies and too many insects. The spiders are the ones who trap them and uh, clean out the system anyway. So, but he was wondering why the spiders and why did God create lunatics? That's a very good question. 
why did God create <laughs> why did God create lunatics? So interesting, two interesting questions. And the answer came to him when he was hiding from King Saul. So number one is he's hiding from King Saul. He's hiding in a cave and he hears King Saul's men coming outside the cave and they're getting closer to the cave's entrance and he's scared stiff inside the cave and then he hears them saying, it's impossible for anyone to get into this cave. We'd know about it. There's a spider web on the mouth of the cave. So David Amena says, Baruch Hashem for spiders. Now I know why God created spiders. He created spiders to save me. Can you imagine my predicament? No one can think I'm hiding in the cave. There's a spider's web on the mouth of the cave. So Hashem created spiders. He was happy. He knew. Now what happens with the madman? So he says once he ran away. He got so sick of Saul. He's chasing everywhere. There's no hiding place in Israel. He's so desperate. He runs away to the Philistines. And he goes to the capital city of Gat. And he speaks to the king. He asks for an audience with the king, Akish. And he's recognized by the Philistines as this is the hero of Israel who killed our, our great giant Goliath. And they tell Akish, this is the one, this is the guy. We got him now. Catch him quickly. Put him in jail. Kill him. And David has to think quickly. What does he think? He says, gosh, I'm going to pretend to be mad completely. So he starts acting like a madman. It's interesting. I was looking up today. The signs of lunacy. And, and it's interesting because papers written about this, David and lunatics, and David copied lunatics to the letter. He just, he, he copied them to the, he checked all the boxes of lunacy, acted like a madman completely. No one believed that he wasn't mad. You see David acting like a madman. He acted like a madman. And it says, the commentaries say that Akish had a daughter who was completely mad as well. And when he saw David acting like a madman with his mad daughter in his house screaming away, he said, get him out of here. I can't take another lunatic. I'm surrounded by lunatics. <laughs> so, so it saved David's life. So what does that mean? It means Hashem's creations, everything has a purpose. That is lesson number four. Lesson number four is God's creations have a purpose. Uh, the spider and the lunacy, everything has a purpose. You know, it's interesting how people use this. Uh, today in courts of law, right? They all pretend feign madness, right? We're all lunatics. Everyone's a lunatic. America's full of lunatics. They go to court. Everyone is mad. We're not guilty. We're lunatics. Okay, so that's a very interesting point that was used by David Amelech. All people, David Amelech, used that. Okay, number five. Number five. Oh, this is amazing. Number five is something which is so val- valuable to know in our lives. There's no person I know who doesn't have troubles. Everyone has their problems. Some problems are more serious than others. And we should never have problems, but rather shame. We should be uh, survive without any problems in our lives. But sometimes a person has problems and they get depressed. And this happened to David Amelech. David Amelech nearly got depressed. It was a terrible tragedy. What happened was David Amelech, as we said, he ran away to the Philistines. Eventually, he made peace with them. He was so sick of King Saul hunting him. He made peace of them, and Akish, the king, was very nice to him. He gave him a town called Ziklag. It was a town the Philistines conquered from Israel anyway, and they said, you know, we're going to give it to David and his men. And David was out and about with his men, and the, the Amalekites were still around that time, 
they came in and they conquered the city of Ziklag. They took away all David's uh, people, their wives, their children. And when his men came back to Ziklag three days later, he found that the Amalekites had come. It burned the whole city with fire and they had captured all the women and children. And uh, when David and his men arrived, this is Samuel 1, chapter 30. And David and the people there raised their voices and wept until they had no strength to cry anymore. So imagine. And uh, David was very distressed and the people were ready to stone him. He was the leader. He was responsible. Why did he leave the town unguarded? He was so sure of himself. So people were ready to stone him and all the people were embittered. They were all crying about their lost sons and their daughters and their wives. And here is David, depressed and distressed. And what does he do? And this is what something we have to do as well. And David drew strength from God. Hashem is God. This is something we have to do in times of distress. Is try and draw strength from God. God is an unlimited source of strength. A person can draw strength from God. It's interesting, the idea of drawing things from God. That's the idea of a bracha. Bracha is a bracha, drawing from a stream. Hashem is an unlimited source of strength for anyone who draws that strength from God. So here is David. It's a very important lesson in our lives. Don't get depressed. Turn to God. Turn to God to save one from one's trouble. And the person will find Hashem does not let a person down. If you trust in God, you ask God to help you. He's going to help you. Uh, I was talking to someone yesterday and they told me they had a crisis in their lives and they locked themselves in a room and they prayed to God and they, they, they got a message in their head somehow. They, got, they thought of uh, something came to them in their head and they ran, they did the answer the question they had with that, that something came to their head. And so it's interesting to see if you turn to God, you get answers. The person turns to God in all seriousness, in all simplicity, a person gets answered by God. A person gets helped by God. A person does the God with all their faith and all their emunah and all their bitachon and all their trust. And God answers them. So there's something, a very important lesson. This is lesson number five. Don't get depressed. Turn to Hashem. Lesson number six. What happens? Saul is chasing David all the time. And King Saul chases David through the desert. Desperate to find him, to kill him. He's a threat to King Saul's uh, dynasty. And once when Saul was, uh, can you imagine, when Saul goes into the cave to go and relieve himself, happens to be the cave that David is hiding now. It's very dark in the back of the cave. Saul doesn't know what's going on, but there's the, the people of David see the king coming into the cave. Says, David, now's your chance. Let's kill him. He's in our hands. Let's kill him. David said, I'm not going to raise my hand on God's anointed one. This is the one that God anointed. Saul was anointed the king before me. I'm not, even though he's trying to kill me. And the Torah says, if someone tries to kill you, kill them first. He's already there. If he's killing me, he wants to kill me. He was within his rights to kill him. He said, no, I'm not going to kill God's anointed one. Very, very important idea. Hashem is, chose him. I'm not going to be the one to kill him. Let enemies kill him, but not me. I'm not going to be the one to raise my hand. I'm not going to be God's whipping boy. I'm not going to be the one to hurt him. I know what's going to happen if I do, because God will take his vengeance on me. So I'm not going to be the one. So David took the high road. 
this is a very important idea of taking the high road in life, taking the moral road, taking the moral, even though he was within his rights, Shaul is hunting him. He said, no, I'm going to take the high road. He cut off a piece of Shaul's, King Saul's robe, and he shows Shaul, I could have killed you. And Shaul starts crying, my son David, my son David, I promise I'll never hurt you, lies for lies. But for a minute or two, he did Teshuvah, Shaul did Teshuvah, and left David alone. But he hunted later on. But you see, David took the high road. And uh, when Shaul dies, who eulogizes Shaul? Now here's Shaul, the enemy of David. Who eulogizes King Saul? David himself. David eulogizes King Saul. And it's, a, it's an amazing eulogy. I just want to quote, if I can find it very quickly, a bit of the eulogy of Saul. Yeah. He took all of it. He tore his garments. They lamented and wept and fasted until the evening over Saul, over Jonathan, his son, over the nation of Hashem, over the house of Israel, for they had fallen by the sword. So here, this greatness of King David is he mourns even for his enemies. His enemy died. So he mourns because you can see he's the king of Israel. And he was the head of the army of Israel. And the army of Israel also went down with him. It was a terrible situation for the whole of Israel. So instead of being happy, King Saul's dead. Now I'm the king. He's miserable. He's mourning for his own enemy. That's amazing. High road, the moral high road. This is a very high level of David Melech. This is number six. Take the high road in moral, uh, take the moral high road. We lose the battle. The person wins the war of morality. Take the high road. Be ethical, be moral. Okay, let's move on. We are on number seven. Oh, this is a beautiful thing, idea. The idea of longing for God. Longing for God and being a friend of God. That's David. We know David had a very hard life. What kept David going was his connection to God. And he was his, he viewed his connection to God as the most important thing in his life. The most important thing in David's life was his connection with God. How do we know? He says the beautiful Psalm, Psalm 42. As the deer longs for brooks of water. Imagine a deer going through the desert, longing for water, panting for water. So my soul longs for you, oh God. Wow, who can say that? Who can say a person, you know, say, my soul longs for you, Hashem. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Amazing. Because all my enemies say, where is your God now? And, you know, this is a saying that's haunted Jews through the ages. Where is your God? You persecuted, downshotted nation. Where is your God? And that's what W. the man says. I yearn for you, Hashem. Everyone asks me, where is your God? And I, I have a connection with you. I know you're there with me. And I yearn for you. And I hope in you. And uh, so this is a beautiful, have a look at Psalm number 42. The person's down, depressed, the enemies are afflicting them. A year for you, God. What a beautiful, a beautiful psalm, a beautiful line. Who else could say this? Who else said it in history? I don't know how many people said this in history. Hashem, I yearn for you. I yearn for my connection with you, Hashem. Look after me. I yearn for you. You are my you are my best friend in life. Hashem is my best friend. It's also Psalm 23. I wonder of Psalm 23, but I want to point out Psalm 42 that uh 
David Amelech's yearning for this relationship with God, his best relationship, his best friend. Very important. Very important lesson to all of us. When a person in trouble, just yearn and make a connection. Build a bond with God. And that is his awareness of divine providence. God, uh, David Amelech knew God is with him all the time. Divine providence yearns for God's presence all the time. Very important. Ramam says an amazing idea in Moedu Bukhim, in the, in the, the uh, in the, in his uh, interesting uh, work, The Guide for the Perplexed, he says an amazing concept. He says, if a person walks closer to God, God walks closer to them. If a person walks away from God, God's going to walk away. So that's the Gemara. The Gemara says that. Tazveri yom yomayim azveka. You leave me for one day, I'll leave you for two days, God says. Ramon says, what does that mean? That means he says there's two people in the same place. One is with God and one is not with God. What does that mean? It all depends on who's thinking about God. When a person thinks about Hashem, they're with Hashem. That's how you get it. How do you link with Hashem? In your mind. A person links with Hashem in their mind. They think about Hashem. They think about Mitzvot. They think about, you know, we're so lucky to live in Israel because every second I live here, it's like living in a big mitzvah. Every second we're doing a mitzvah. Yeshua, Eretz Israel. There's a mitzvah every second. There's only three mitzvah that a person is surround with. One of them is a sukkah, but it's not so good today. Number two is when a woman goes to the mikvah, the waters of the mikvah surround them. That's the, the mitzvah surrounds them. And number three is living in Israel, where the air of Israel surrounds a person. So that's number three. I'm so, I'm so fortunate. Walking in the streets of Yerushalayim, there's nothing like it. Okay, so Ben Radashev will all be worthy uh, doing this mitzvah. And David Amelech yearned for Hashem, yearning for Hashem. Thank you. Okay, we are moving on to number eight. Hold your friends close, but hold your enemies even closer. This amazing story with David Amelech, who is one of David Amelech's greatest enemies, King David's greatest enemies, was the general of Saul, the general, the great general of Saul, Abner ben Ner, Abner the son of Ner, who was a great man. It's interesting, his name represents light. Avner, the father of light. Benner, the son of light. Amazing, the father of light and the son of light. He was a man full of light. The rabbi said he was a great rabbi. He was one of the Sanhedrin. You know, in those days, the Sanhedrin were not just, they were multitaskers. Like uh, Moses was a prophet and a general and a leader and a king. So these great men, they were multitaskers, not like today. Today, we need some multitaskers. We need people who are all around great in all different ways. Imagine the chief rabbi is also the head of the army. I don't know if that'd be good or bad, but hopefully good. And that's what happened in those days. The chief rabbi, Abner Ben-Ner, was one of the great leaders of Israel, the general of King Saul. And towards the end, Abner Ben-Ner knows. I mean, interesting, he wasn't killed with Saul on the battlefield. He somehow got away, and he's still... The general of Saul's son, Ishbosheth, against David. Until finally he realizes Ishbosheth is not a good king. I'm going to go and make peace with King David. It's time we united the kingdom of Israel. The ten tribes were with the son of Saul, and only two tribes with David Yehuda and Benjamin, Judah and Benjamin with David. And he says, Let's go and make peace with David and unite Israel together, the 12 tribes. So, what would you think? The guy's been fighting David all his life, hunting him down with Saul. And what happens is David wants to make peace with him. David wants to make peace. So imagine an enemy coming to you and saying, you know, it's enough. Let's make peace. 
let's join all the Jews together, let's have the United Kingdom of Israel. And then he said, yes, let's make peace. So Avner Ben-Ner, accept your enemies, make peace with your enemies. It's very hard. These are enemies, uh, life, lifetime enemies. And we see David Amela drew Avner Ben-Ner close to the point where his own general, Yoav, gets very angry. Here's your enemy. He's a spy. He's not really true. Plus, Yoav had a personal uh, vendetta with Avner. And Yoav kills Avner Ben-Ner. And Avner Ben-Ner is buried today in Hebron. Which was the capital city of King David for the first seven years of his reign. He was the king of Judah in Hebron. Hebron was the capital city. People don't remember. People don't know. Hebron was the capital city of the tribe of Judah, and where King David reigned for seven years. The first seven years of his reign were in Judah. Thirty-three years of his reign were in Jerusalem, of a united kingdom of Israel. So anyway, he made friends with Avner ben Ner. And uh, he mourned for Abner Ben-Ner when Yoav killed him. And finally, the kingdom was joined together. It was joined together. That's number eight. Make friends with your enemy. Sometimes the person has an opportunity. Someone wants to come to you and say, you know, we had, we had fights all our lives. Let's make peace now. Accept them. Yeah, if you can trust them, accept them. Okay, number nine. Number nine. Here is King David. Finally, he's a king. He's the king of 12 tribes. He's recognized by everyone. He's escorted on his throne in Jerusalem. And he's built his beautiful palace of cedarwood, which was a luxury of those days. And what's he doing? You think, you know, he's the peak of his kingdom. He's going to be happy. He's satisfied with everything. And you know what he says? He says to himself, I am living in a house of cedar but the ark of God is in a tent. How can I sleep? In other words, everything's good with me. What about God? What about the ark of God? How can I leave the ark of God in a tent? And I'm living in my, in my beautiful palace. Beautiful. This is gorgeous uh, idea. You know, I said this once at one of the yeshivas. Uh, I was involved with the yeshiva in Tinek, building the yeshiva. And I said this at one of the dinners in Baruch Hashem. Finally, they got a big building, Baruch Hashem. But this is a beautiful idea. I'm living in my, in my palace. Everyone should think about this. I'm living in my palace and the Ark of God is in a tent. You know, today we don't even have a tent for the Ark of God because we haven't even found the Ark of God. So a person should think about that. You know, there's an interesting prayer that some Sadiqim say at midnight. Don't look at me. I'm not, not such a big level. But some Sadiqim say at midnight, where a person gets up midnight and cries over the destruction of Jerusalem. And that's what King David, who's worried about God's glory. I am in the, in the house, of, I'm in my palace, but the ark of God is in a tent because the Philistines have destroyed Shiloh. We talked about with Eli and, and they destroyed Shiloh, where the, the ark of God was. They sent it back and it was at a temporary housing for many years. And he brought it eventually, brings it to Jerusalem and he can't sleep. Why? Because how can I sleep in my palace when the ark of God is in a tent? Now we've got to think about the glory of God. So the synagogue is in a bad way, but we can help instead of spending money renovating one's house. Think about renovating the synagogue. This is such a big test. I tell you, this is a big test. But that's the greatness. I'm just learning greatness from King David. Greatness of King David was he had a beautiful palace. Yes, that's right. He built the palace. 
And then he thinks, hey, how can I do this? The ark of God is in a tent. So think about God. Think about yourself, but think about God as well. Don't forget, don't forget Hashem. He didn't forget Hashem. He is a great king. He could have forgotten about Hashem. You know, many great kings forgot about God. When a person's wealthy, it's one of the Psalms we say in the house of mourning. When a person's wealthy, they forget about God. They forget who the master is. Right? So that's something that men never forget. We should never forget. Should, this is one of the lessons that a person never forget about God, even when he's a big king and he's in Jerusalem and he has a capital city and he has power and wealth and a beautiful palace. He wasn't content with his own comfort. He wanted to build the temple of Hashem. Unfortunately, Hashem says, you're not going to build it. Your son, we're going to talk about next week, Shlomo Melech, your son Shlomo is going to build it. Not you, your hands are full of blood. We're going to talk about that. Why did Shlomo, why was Shlomo allowed to build it? Not David. Anyway, David, wasn't allowed to build it, but you know what he did? He collected all the physical objects needed for the temple. All the gold, the silver, whatever was needed for the temple, he collected, put in warehouses, so his son would have an easy time to build everything. Amazing. Okay, number 10. Don't worry what other people think about you when you're doing a mitzvah. If you're doing a mitzvah, and you know it's a mitzvah, and this is the way to do the mitzvah, don't worry about what other people think. So here, David Amalek is bringing the Ark of God to Jerusalem. And uh, he's dancing and he's singing. And uh, people are looking at him like he's crazy. He's like a lunatic. He's dancing like a madman. He's dancing magic. You know, there's a beautiful story about the Arizal. The Arizal is, <laughs> I don't know how true the story is. You know, they say these stories, amazing stories about the Arizal who lived in Sfat, you know, over 500 years ago. They don't say these stories about me, so uh, <laughs> it could be true. <laughs> these stories about the Arizal. Since one day the Arizal had a minyan in his shul like no other minyan. And he calls up to the Torah, Avram Avinu, and Avram Avinu walks by, and everyone stands up, Avram Avinu, and he says, Yitzhak, and Yitzhak has an aliyah, and Yaakov, and Moshe, Aaron, Yosef, and he calls David for aliyah, and everyone sees this man jumping and dancing and singing, on his way to his aliyah. That was David Melech. He was jumping and singing and dancing, bringing the ark to Yushalayim. Who's looking out the window? His own wife, Michal. Michal was his wife, the daughter of King Saul. That was his reward for killing Goliath. He married the daughter of King Saul, and Saul took her away, and he got her back eventually when Saul dies. And she's looking out the window and saying, my, my husband is king who's not like my father. My father had his honor and his dignity and this king, David, my husband, is like a lowlife. He's dancing and singing like he's in a disco. I don't know if they knew what discos were in those days. But she rebukes him. And he says to her, he says, that's the reason why I'm the king and not your father. In front of God, there is no honor. No one has honor in front of God. Not even the king of Israel. In front of God, we're zeros. And I'm dancing for happiness for the sake of Hashem. So when it comes to doing a mitzvah, a person shouldn't worry about what other people think. Just do the mitzvah and don't worry. They think you're crazy. If it's a mitzvah, and so that's the way to do it. Just do it. Okay, so that's very important. That's number 10. Number 11, we talked about last week, David and Bathsheba and Nathan Hanavi. Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and tells him the story. And David accepts Nathan, Nathan and Nabi's rebuke. That's number 11. Number 11 is accept rebuke straight away without arguing. 
David HaMelech says, Chatati Lashem, I've sinned to God. He never argued, he never gave excuses. It's not like King Saul when Samuel told him, why didn't you wait? Well, why, why didn't you kill the Philistine king? And King Saul is giving excuses. I saved the cattle, the people, and this and that. Blame other people. David says straight away, without mentioning any excuses, is a very important. We should give in to Hashem every time without any excuses. When it comes to God, there are no excuses. If someone rebukes you and they're right, just admit straight away. Don't make excuses. Chatati, chatati, Hashem. You know, we do vidui every day. Um, in our prayers, uh, Sfarim, Nusach Sfard, Mincha, Shachari, Mincha, before going to sleep three times a day, we say to God, you're right, you are right, we are wrong, we acted improperly, accept rebuke, and try and get forgiveness. That's very important. Number 11, accept rebuke, and ask for forgiveness straight away. Don't make excuses. Number 12, we talked about last week, how his first son from Bathsheba died. He's praying and he's crying and the boy is sick for a whole week. He's praying and crying. When his son died, he accepted God's decree. First, you got to accept sometimes and move on with life. You know, the first thing we do when we come back from a cemetery, guess what we do? You know, everyone thinks Jews are crazy. Why? The first thing we do, come back to the cemetery, what do we do? We have a meal. Eat. Imagine. Eat. Why do we have a meal? It's called a sudat havra'ah. You know, the neighbors prepare a meal for the mourner. Why do we have the Suda Havralis uh, eggs, hard-boiled eggs? And the answer is we affirm life. We come back from the cemetery. The first we do is we affirm life. God wants us to live. Even though we had a loss, life continues. It's a cycle of life. The life cycle of life continues. Uh, a rabbi uh, who was a rabbi in Eitzelheim before me, I think there's two rabbis before me, he had a, uh, he, he said, I only see my, my congregants three times in their lives. Hatch, match, and dispatch. <laughs> so his complaint was he didn't see people enough. You know, they never had a daily minion. So I see people hatch, match, and dispatch. Hatch is when they have a child. Match is when they get married. And dispatch is law right? That's what I see the people. Okay. I would add number three. Number, I would add one more. Bar mitzvah. So bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah, as you see people, when there's a rabbi, I see his tongue gets, uh, Baruch Hashem, situation is much better today, Baruch Hashem. Okay, so uh, that's the cycle of life. Accept God's decree and move on, that's Judaism. Judaism is, say the bracha, it's the hardest bracha to say, but we never have to say it, I am haimet. But we only say good bracha, shecheyanu, vikiyamanu, 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 to give us life, and rejoice and enjoy this world that God gave us, Bezrat Hashem. And only good things, but if something bad happens, accept it and move on. Accept it and move on. That's David Amenech. Accept it and move on. He accepted God's decree and moved on. And when they told him, why are you eating now? You are fasting for seven days. Why are you eating? Why do you take a shower? Look what he says. He says, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, who knows? Perhaps God will be gracious to me and the child will live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? So he accepted God's decree and moved on. There's a time for prayer, a time for mourning, and a time to resume living. And that's one of the lessons of David Amelech. Number 13, number 13, love your family to the nth degree. 
look how he loved his family despite his troubles with his family. You know, I, I don't want to go into these details, but we, we find that Natan and Nabi told him, you know, your punishment is going to be your own family. You're going to have trouble with your own family. So we find that David Amalek had most trouble with his father-in-law, King Saul, his own father-in-law, in-laws and outlaws. You know, if you have a good parents-in-law, you're very lucky, Baruch Hashem. You know, that's a joke. The joke is, why did Adam Arishon, the first man, live so long? And the answer is, he had no in-laws. It's created by, <laughs> yeah, his wife was created by God, no in-laws to deal with. But we're all, whoever has good in-laws, Baruch Hashem, we're fortunate. It adds years to a person's life, Baruch Hashem. Good in-laws, David Amash suffered tremendously with his father-in-law. He hounded him incessantly, his son, Abshalom. I didn't want to talk about that story, Afshalom. I'm going to skip it. But here we have, drives him out of Yushalayim, his son, his own son, Afshalom. The son he loves so much. Afshalom, Afshalom, my son, my son. Uh, I wish I would die instead of you, Afshalom. Can you imagine? He died. He wished after Afshalom rebelled against him. And Yoav killed Afshalom. He wished, David Amir, wished he died instead of Afshalom. Imagine how much he loved his own children his own enemies, his own family. So even though people tried to harm him, his own family tried to harm him, he displayed love. And so interesting, display love to your family, whatever you do, your family is the closest thing, display love as much as possible. Because Rav Shem will never face the same issues that David Amela faced, but he faced them with love, unbounded love, amazing love, right? Number 14, Use your resources wisely. It's interesting. David Melech knew he was a great king. He was a great leader. And he knew how to use his resources. He was a great general on the battlefield. So he was, David Melech is running away from his son, Abshalom. He's camping outside Jerusalem. Imagine this old king. Poor fellow. He's running away in his old age from his son. He's kicked out of Yishalayim. Imagine Abshalom came. He persuaded the people of Israel to follow him. And David is old, and only his older advisors, and some of them had rebelled against him, even Yoav, his general, his the high priest, Abiatar, they rebelled against him, they joined, well, no, Yoav did not join his enemy yet, but uh, they joined, us. a lot of his followers joined Absalom against him, and he is camping outside Jerusalem on his way, running away, he was joined by loyal friends and followers, among them was an old advisor of his called Hushai, one of his best friends. And Hushai wanted to join him running away from Absalom. And David says, no, Hushai, I got a mission for you. I want you to go back to, to Absalom and pretend that you joined his rebellion against me. And I want you to be an advisor to him to counteract the advice of Achitophel, who, as we said, Bathsheba's grandfather who hated David because of what he did to Bathsheba. And Achitophel was the smartest guy alive. He went to advise Absalom how to destroy David. So go back and you become an advisor to Absalom. Hushai, you're my best friend. Tell him I love you. I don't love David. I rebelled against David. Become his advisor and give him wrong advice so he won't kill me. So Hushai was very successful. We see David knew how to handle his resources. Hushai was a tremendous resource. Instead of using him and running away from Shalom, he said, go back and become a spy. So interesting, he knew how to use the resources. We have to learn from David how to use our resources 
you know, the most unlikely resources a person is given by God. We have to use them. We have to know everything we have is a gift from God. We just have to know how to use it. So that's the problem. The problem is wisdom. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Talk about King Solomon. We have to talk about wisdom, the wisest person alive. Um, probably till today. We have to talk about wisdom. That's one of the greatest gifts we can ask for from Hashem. Number 15, be a loyal friend. You know, love is tied together. Loving one's family, being a loyal friend, you know, the moral high ground we talked about. Uh, be a loyal friend. Yonatan, the son of Saul, was David Amela's best friend. And the, the, the uh, Pirkei Avot tells us it's one of the highest levels of friendship. Friendship which is not dependent on ulterior motives. Total friendship for no ulterior motives. Like Yonatan was the prince, he could have had any friend he wanted, but no ulterior motives made a friendship with David, tremendous friendship. And David repaid Yonatan by looking after Yonatan's lame son. Yonatan had a son who was born around the time of the big loss of the battle where his father and his grandfather were killed. And the maid was running away with Yonatan's son, Mephibosheth, and she dropped him and he hurt his leg and he became lame. And David Amir looked after Mephibosheth all his life. He ate at David's table, at the king's table, because he was a faithful friend and he repaid the friendship. So be a faithful friend. And even after Yonatan's death, David lavished care and attention on his late friend's son, supported him financially in Yerushalayim, and friendship is deeper than blood. Come to treasure your friends, treat them with loyalty and devotion, as the mission says of Rikyavot. Make for yourself a rabbi, but acquire a friend to yourself. Have a good friend. Have some good friends. That's the very important thing in life. We have to realize our spouses should be our best friends. Our children should be our best friends. And our best friends should be our best friends. So Bezrash will all be successful like David Amelech was. Uh, 15 ways, 15 lessons from David Amelech's life. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.